0: This is episode number 328, Parenting, Adventure Travel, and Expectations with author Megan Ward. Welcome to The Sonya Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonya. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a rider, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together.
1: I swear, every time I think I've figured something out, I think what I learned the most is that I don't have it figured out. And I think it's also very healthy to get comfortable with uncertainty because the reality of our world is it's very uncertain and we have constant curveballs coming our way. And to live in the opposite, to try to stay close to comfort and try to stay close to routine for me, I think just can set people up for some serious disappointments, even trauma, because you know, life is calling us to be resilient and flexible. And I think all of these journeys off the beaten track have ultimately showed me that this is really where real life is played out is in that uncertainty.
0: Thanks so much for being here today. And if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly newsletter at sonyalooney.com newsletter, where I send out an article on everything high performance and well-being. Thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on PayPal and Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash the Looney Show. Those donations do not go unnoticed every month. To pay my staff of Roma, my audio engineer, who has been editing these fantastic episodes since episode one, and to my assistant Rebecca, who makes sure the show notes are in good shape and that the episodes get posted on time. I can't believe that it's already mid-December and the new year is upon us. I have already received a couple of emails from people looking to start working with me as a coach moving into the new year. And it just so happens that I am taking on a new cohort of clients. So if you are interested in health and mental performance, I'd love to work with you. Basically, it's about doing hard things and changing behaviors. And behavior change is one of the hardest things to do. My coaching certification is through Vanderbilt University's School of Integrative Medicine, where I worked with top health psychologists, social psychologists, and positive psychologists to learn how to structure a coaching practice to help people actually execute on these changes. I also had 70 practicum hours and a final exam that I had to take over a two-year period. So you're going to be in good hands if you work with me as a client. From maximizing your energy and level of fulfillment in life, to the mental side of performance, to developing a mindfulness practice, to optimizing your diet, or even to stop beating yourself up, I'm here to help you. And it is one of my absolute favorite things to work one-on-one with clients. So feel free to go to my website at sanyaluni.com and hit that contact button and get in touch with me to see if coaching would be a good fit for you. So let's get into today's guest, Megan J. Ward. She is an outdoor adventure traveler and writer, a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, and has written several books. She's also produced content for films, anthologies, blogs, and some of North America's top outdoor fitness and adventure publications. As a consultant, she coaches writers and photographers to help them bring their projects to life and ensure that their work is seen by a wider audience. She lives in Banff, Alberta, and if you follow her Instagram, she posts some absolutely beautiful pictures. She lives there with her husband, Paul, and their two daughters. In her most recent book, Lights to Guide Me Home, Megan takes us on a trip around the world while chronicling her transition through some of life's major milestones. And I could definitely relate with her. And if you have ever had kids or ever had any big pivots in your life, this book is something you could relate with as well. From Costa Rica to Nepal, Rapa Nui to Malta, Megan explores what it means to carve out her own identity amidst family expectations, her responsibilities as a parent to young children, and her marriage to an ambitious traveler and landscape photographer. Some key takeaways in this episode is how they decided to have kids as adventurers, how Nepal is a life-changing place, and that is a place I have raced my bike twice, and I can attest to that as well, planning time with your partner How to execute international travel with small children. And this is something I was personally interested in picking her brain over because I've traveled a lot domestically with my kids on planes and in cars, but I've never done a long haul flight with my kids and gone to another country outside of North America. We talked about what it means to define courage and how to use expectations as boundaries. I think you'll get a lot out of today's episode. And speaking of travel, that is something that a lot of us are doing over the holidays, and if health is something on your mind, and I'm sure it is with all of the different viruses going around, you might want to think about checking out Athletic Greens. Their supplement, AG1, has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. You can just make it a daily habit of waking up in the morning and putting a scoop in the water, mixing it up, and taking a drink. And after that, you are done for the day worrying about what vitamins you might need to take. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with the constant product iterations, and they also have third-party testing. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially in the season that we're in with colds and flus. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase, and those travel packs are going to come in handy this year. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Sonia, and again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Sonia to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, let's get into today's episode with Megan J. Ward. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sonia. Typically, you're the one on the other side writing out interview questions for people. (laughs) That's correct. What's it like being on the other side, although we've only been going for a few seconds?
1: I've done a couple of interviews this month, and so it, it has been interesting being on the other side of the equation. I've actually really appreciated it and appreciated what I am normally putting people through when I'm interviewing them.
0: Yeah, I, I think about that a lot because I too, sometimes I'm on the other side of the microphone. And I, I wanted to ask you, because you've interviewed a lot of people through your different writings. For you, what makes a good interview question?
1: A good interview question is one that you leave open-ended for one thing. I've discovered that sometimes people have a tendency to ask, answer, ask. Mm-hmm. And so it's really helpful when you're being interviewed if you're asked a really clear, direct question. It mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier to answer. And I think thinking in sequences of questions is helpful. So rather than trying to pack three questions into one, you just purposely break it down into various questions that you can follow up with.
0: That's good advice for anybody who is listening, who's a writer or a podcast hopeful. So I wanted to just ask you to start, how many countries have you been to?
1: I'm not sure I've ever counted it. <laughs> And it's not as much as other people that I uh, I follow various accounts and and writers and some people you know are eighty plus countries or maybe even all of them. I would wager a guess that it's about fifteen to twenty. Mm-hmm. Though some places I've visited has been like visiting several countries at once. So when you go to French Polynesia, and you bounce island to island, you might go to eight or ten different islands, and you feel like you've been to ten different places.
0: A lot of people have a spirit for adventure and they think about, you know, I wish I could go to this place or this place is on my bucket list, but they never actually execute on it for a number of reasons. When did you find your spirit for adventure and how did you make that first leap?
1: That's a great question to reflect on. I have to give my husband, Paul, a lot of credit for really pulling out that adventurous spirit in me and also showing me how to do that. And it all starts with an idea. And then just breaking that down into some logical steps of what do I need to do to make this happen? And so I think I was a bit of an, ad- an apprehensive adventurer. And now I feel like I'm not quite equal with him because he's got a very adventurous spirit. But now I can look at something I want to do. And instead of feeling overwhelmed, I just break it down into the steps I need to take in order to figure out how we do that, where we go. And a lot of this has been learned through experience and making some poor choices over the years. And I find it helpful to just make sure I take note of those things as they happen, all those mishaps, because the next time I can make it better. And in some ways, those mishaps are what create a fun story. For sure. There's some great stories in this book about mishaps.
0: <laughs> and you've you talked about a lot of different adventures and a lot of the different places that you've been. Just as, we asked, as we're interviewing now, which one is standing out most in your mind?
1: I always have to go back to Rapa Nui or Easter Island as the place that just absolutely blew my mind. Some people know Easter Island from the giant carved heads that sometimes even make like jokes on birthday cards. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if you just Google Heads of Easter Island, you'll instantly recognize what I'm talking about. But what I didn't know about it was just how beautiful the actual landscape is. And it's this the, the world's most remote inhabited island, I think, or a close second. And when you get there, you definitely have this out of world feeling about it. And you've got this these ancient human-made structures mixed with this epic landscape. And having the chance to take my children there made it just extra special.
0: Yeah, now I'm adding that as a place that I want to go.
1: <laughs> Requires some long flights.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I haven't done the really long flights yet, which I will be picking your brain about shortly. Conversation starter that I have with people is I like to just ask friends if, or even my husband sometimes, if you could have a plane ticket to anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? And I know that that changes over time, but with what you just said, it sounds like you really like kind of these like mis- almost like mysterious places. But as it stands now, where would you go and why?
1: This moment, I would be buying a luxury vacation. <laughs> with all of the pampering you can imagine that may or may not include my children. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, you're right. It does change over time because right now I just truly need a vacation, which I consider to be very different from a trip, you know, or an adventure. So, but if I had to split that question up and say, where would I take a trip to? I have not yet had the chance to go to the African continent Mm -hmm. and, I think that that would be a place I'd really like to see somewhere. I mean, it's so geographically and ethnically diverse. I don't even know where I'd begin, but I just like to explore that part of the world and meet those people.
0: Yeah. Thanks for saying that right now you, I would just like a luxury vacation because I need, I need time for myself. And I think I read on your Instagram just today that you posted You've been solo parenting for, would you say, two and a half out of the last four months?
1: Yeah, it's been a really long haul. Yeah, I posted that today because I find that whenever I do speak from the heart, the conversations that come out of it tell me that others are feeling the same way. They just don't have the voice or the platform to talk about it. And then they feel a little bit less alone in their individual struggles. So I posted today about how today is literally the last day of this huge stretch of solo parenting time. My husband travels for work. He's a photographer and he leads these photography workshops all over the world. And I just really have found myself feeling extremely burnt out. And it's interesting how I've made it to the finish line, but that's not really helping me right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right now, I just need to really tap into myself and acknowledge how I'm feeling. And so right before this podcast recording, I went for a walk because as much as I had to do, I knew I needed to settle my mind and my body a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah. And the reason I'm asking is because parental burnout is a real thing. And I, I don't think a lot of people talk about it because they are they feel like bad for talking about it or, you know, whatever the reason, but I think it's very common. That's something that I am sort of on my own journey with that as well. (laughs) And it's good to hear that one of the things that you do to ground yourself, it doesn't fix the problem, but it helps ground you in the moment is going outside.
1: Yeah. And it kind of does fix the problem sometimes Mm -hmm. because sometimes the problem is me Mm -hmm. feeling overwhelmed by even the small things in life. And then you get some perspective and you realize, okay, I really didn't need to be worried about that just now. And I also do some of my best creative thinking and problem solving while I'm walking. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and there's actually a fair bit of research to back that up, that going outside for a walk gives you the most advantage for creativity. And they even compared it to walking on a trip, or I can't remember... The exact study. It was something about comparing it to walking on a treadmill inside too. Like being outside just makes everything better. But I wanted to ask you... So the first part of your book is about really cool stories around the world of these adventures that you've had and really inspiring to read. And some of these places I'm sure people haven't even heard of before. And then you said you went on this trip to Nepal. And I want to hear more about that. But you said that that was the end of an era. And when I read that, it just... Ooh, I, I, I got chills. I kind of felt myself like get emotional because I have l- like very little kids and had this life kind of similar to yours of adventure traveling all around the world. And then things changed whenever I had kids. So I think a lot of people can relate with this, whether it was traveling or some other you know thing that they did that they more or less define themselves by. You go on these things and then you have kids and then things don't get worse, but things just change. So I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I want to start with going to Nepal because that's somewhere I've been, too, and I can really relate on this level, too. So tell me about why Nepal was such a different experience and such a life-changing experience for you.
1: Nepal is as far as I've been from home by way of culture. So in that regard, I felt even further away from home, even though I think I've been to some destinations that are physically further away. Nepal was just such a magical experience, I think, because I, I went with four other friends, one one of which included my husband, I should say. <laughs> and um, we went trekking for about nine weeks through the Mustang region, Annapurna, Dalagiri, Kumbu, Gokyo, and just all over. And I think the reason why it was such an incredible experience is because it was truly the end of an era for me. And I didn't know that at the time, Mm -hmm. but I was able to take over two months off from work without any real consequence. I had no real responsibilities. I'd done a bunch of contract work right before I left. So I even had a friend depositing checks in my bank account while I was gone. I was kind of being paid to be out hiking in a way. And things did change shortly after we got home from that trip in that I discovered that I was pregnant in the year after. And so I think part of it is my mind has compartmentalized Nepal as this experience that you know would be kind of be the closing of a chapter of my life while I was in it. I didn't know that. And Mm -hmm. I was living so freely and spent a lot of time while I was there reflecting on life at home. And then on top of that, Nepal is just such a spectacular place. People are so friendly. The smells, the sounds, everything is extremely overwhelming. And then you have the Himalayas. So I think that's why it, it was just such a pinnacle of an experience in my life.
0: It sounds like the being free part, you mentioned like, oh, I felt free there and I was able to reflect back on my life. That was also very impactful for you.
1: Absolutely. You spend a lot of time just putting one foot in front of the other when you're trekking. And I had a lot of conversations along the way as well, but I was with the same people for nine weeks. So at some point, everybody goes into their own world and they're just you're just walking, you're walking alongside each other, you're in your own thoughts. I had music playing a lot of the time. And we, we kind of just had this code amongst ourselves, it was okay, not to be in conversation while we were walking. And it was just a chance for me to look at the life that I'd created with my husband. Uh, we were fairly newly married, but we'd been dating for many years. And it was really a chance for me to see what we'd created for ourselves, that we had created this life of creativity and we were self-employed. We had pretty much the ultimate freedom as adults. And I think I was actually able to really appreciate that while I was on the trail.
0: Yeah. I think this is such an important lesson because a lot of us are so busy doing, myself included, that we rarely stop to reflect on all the things that we are doing and who we are because of those in the life that we have, because of those those things that we are doing. But pausing is hard. And you weren't even pausing, you were in motion, but you were you took yourself out of your typical, I guess, situation so that you had that space.
1: Yeah. And walking can be very meditative, especially when you get into the flow. And I know that you know the flow from the sports that you do as well. It's like a completely other state of mind. You're right. I didn't, even since then, I, I find I don't take, take enough time to reflect, truly reflect, and celebrate as well, celebrating the milestones. I have gone back to journaling in recent years, which has given me a chance to do some of that reflecting, or choosing Mm -hmm. to go for a walk without listening to something. I'll fall into my own thoughts and reflections. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I think we need to carve out more time for
0: something you said is we had the ultimate freedom. We, we created this life for ourselves. And then you had the end of an era having your first child. Can you talk about that experience? Um, number one, that's like, what
1: made you decide that you wanted children? Start there. <laughs> I'm like, Wait, sure. Yeah. So I should tell a little story about Nepal, which was when I got home from Nepal, I wasn't feeling very well. And I started going down the doctor Google hole of symptoms and literally it said either you have a parasite or you're pregnant with these symptoms. (laughs) I remember thinking I was like more ready to have a parasite than a baby. (laughs) And uh, sure enough, it ended up being a bit of a false alarm. I think it was mostly my body was so out of whack from all the physical activity that it just, I was just very late. But that was what triggered a conversation with my husband in that we, just started reflecting on the fact that maybe we were more ready than we thought. And neither of us were 100% sure we wanted kids. And I certainly didn't feel like a, a born mother, you know, ready to take that on. I still don't feel in a way like I am equipped to be a mother most of the time. And when we finally decided to do that, it it was because we took the opportunity, this is about six months later, we took the opportunity and thought, is this something we'll regret in 10-15 years? Or when we're older and we don't have children, is this a decision that we might regret? And of course, we can't really know these things, but not having children I've described it as like this sliding door kind of concept that when you have kids, you walk through that into that space and you can't ever go back, but you then at least have this comparative experience. (laughs) Whereas those who don't walk through that door or can't walk through that door won't get that comparison. And so we were looking at this from our future selves and ultimately decided we didn't want to be too attached to our lifestyles. To the point where it would be so hard to integrate a child into that so sooner would be better than later and we were very fortunate but it also was very surprising that uh, things happened straight away when we started trying and suddenly we were just thrown full throttle into this life of, of parenthood mixing with adventure and it was not easy
0: yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting how you decided to have kids because that's exactly how my husband and I decided is we weren't hundred percent sure. And then we thought, well, are all, looking down the road, are we going to regret not doing it? And we said, well, yeah, we'll regret it, but we're still not hundred percent sure, but we'll know that the regret is a, a 100%. So we just acted off of that. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, I so, relate.
0: so something you said in your book, um, you said people say parenting is an adventure in and of itself, but is that really true? How do you make it work without giving up everything you love? So, how do you make it work without giving up everything you love?
1: I think one way of doing that is to reframe adventure. You know, especially when you add kids to the mix, you actually amplify the adventure. <laughs> and it's something that our culture doesn't really accept in a lot mm-hmm. of ways because they just see a bunch of Kids eating granola bars on rocks in the backcountry, but they're not actually able, unless you're taking your kids into the backcountry, you know, you're not able to really see how much of an adventure just that is in on its own. Mm -hmm. So it's reframing what adventure can mean, even when it feels a little bit lame. Mm -hmm. Don't know how I don't know a really great way to describe that other than to feel like I've lived it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Another is to keep those passions burning, for sure. And I actually ratcheted back a lot on my some of my adventures when I had kids. My my risk tolerance went way down, and I adjusted accordingly. And now my idea of an adventure is more of a a backcountry multi day trip where you know there might be some physical challenges or 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 obstacles to overcome. And certainly our, the trips that we've done with our kids has revolved around a lot of problem solving and adventures and kind of on-the-spot decision-making. But I have really had to work with my partner to carve out time for myself, and he has had to do the same thing. And so one thing we do is sit down every month and just figure out when we're going to go out together, when we're each going to get out, We allocate, especially in the summertime, we'll allocate, okay, there's your slot for a backcountry trip, which usually will involve, you know, three to five days. Then there's your slot. And last year we had the chance to also go abroad separately. So he went to Ecuador and I went to Mexico. And we have to really work together Mm -hmm. to make these things happen. And how old are your kids now? They are nine and four.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. As I'm listening to this again people I'm sure that as I'm listening the listeners are also relating in the same way that I am. Initially you and Paul did everything together and then after you have kids you have to divide up your time and essentially take turns and then have adventures that are planned with the family. How have you guys worked through that um I don't know the right word for it cuz it's not necessarily a hurdle but the like it's kind of sad not to do stuff with your partner anymore.
1: So how do you guys work through that? I think that we've learned to appreciate the times that we do get. Mm -hmm. There aren't as many of them. We don't have any family where we live. So all the help is, you know, either flown here or paid for. Yes. (laughs) And so I know a lot of mountain people can relate to that as well, um, or people in these communities who live far from family. I take advantage of the times that especially uh, one of our mothers will come and Paul and I will book some time away together. And sometimes that looks like just a night, you know, at a lodge or a hotel, and sometimes it's into the back country. We've also learned to really readjust how we spend time together. And it's more realistic for us to do day trips. And so the last few years we've taken one day a week when we're both physically in the same country and we'll go hiking or snowshoeing. Um, We generally have to keep it simple because we have to fit this in between, you know, dropping kid off at daycare or school and pick up. But we've managed to do some really cool things over the years together. And while they're not epic and they're not multi-day, they're really memorable and really special. And I think it's when you can stop focusing on what you can't do and focus on these things you can do together that ultimately makes the difference.
0: Yeah. It sounds like the planning and prioritization of the time that you spend with and without your kids is a really great tool.
1: Yeah. It's, it's something that I haven't been able to tap into for a while because I've just been through several weeks and months of, of solo time and so I'm aware how much I'm missing it as well. Uh, I'm excited to get back into that routine because you're right. it It's really about being intentional with our time and structuring it. And that also helps us to say no to things because Fridays are off limits because we're going to be out hiking or can we switch that to another day in c- if something important comes up?
0: Yeah. And I'm sure with also opportunities that come your way, You want to be able to spend time with your family. You also want to be able to do all of these other things. And then there's always new things, you know, fortunately that come in, but having to choose what you say yes to and what you say no to
1: becomes even more important. It really does. And this week it's, uh, it's down to the absolute essentials for me. (laughs) I I have to acknowledge when I'm in that mode where I am on the essentials and everything else can wait or it'll just fade away. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's constant. It's a constant juggling act. Well,
0: I'm honored that one of one hour of your time is one of those essential things this week.
1: <laughs> no, I'm very happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so your first big trip you took with your daughter, Maya, is that how you pronounce her name? Mm-hmm. Was to New Zealand, right? Yeah. And she was 11 months
1: old? Yeah, about that.
0: Yeah. So can you tell us about the decision to take that trip. that's a funny thing is like my husband and I are like, should we go to New Zealand for our first international trip? And then I read that that was what you did. So how did you decide to go there? And then how do you go across? You know, that's a long flight. It's like a 15 to 20 hour plus travel day. So how do mm-hmm. you do all of those things whenever you have an 11 month
1: old? Yeah. International travel with small children or babies is not for the faint of heart but it's also like, if you can cope with lack of sleep and some tough days, uh, it certainly helps if you've traveled before. <laughs> if, right. if you, if you yourself, pre children have traveled before, you definitely already have a few tools in your toolkit. But I remember when we were planning that trip and I was actually only about four months pregnant and we were hiking here in Banff national park and just throwing ideas out there. And, i'd I'd been reading some articles about people who traveled with their kids, and i I think I might have found some of the wrong sources for me because mm. they all made it look ridiculously easy and they had miracle babies or something because it kind of set me up for some experiences I didn't really expect to have for myself. but so I remember we were tossing ideas around of where we could go and and I decided that I would feel more comfortable traveling somewhere with a similar culture and the English language. I wasn't sure in all of my sleeplessness, if I would be (laughs) able to, you know, tackle a different language at that time and deal with the extra hurdles of traveling in a country that had just such different, you know, cultural things. And, and so we just, we landed on New Zealand, but we completely overlooked the time change challenges that that would present to us. And so yeah, it was about a 15 hour flight from Vancouver. And my daughter just nursed on and off the whole time on that plane. And I didn't sleep, but I managed to keep her settled and quiet. And then when we landed, we had another flight to Christchurch. And then we had a drive to our first stop. And I I have reflected on that choice a lot and there's nothing we could have done because it was our first time traveling Mm -hmm. that far with a child, but we were just shattered by the time we got there. And fortunately we had four days in our first spot so we could start to, to adapt. But, you know, I mentioned the other articles I'd read and parents who'd taken their children abroad or their babies. And yeah, I think I just didn't get lucky on the resources I'd been reading before I left. I expected my daughter to be much more adaptable. And I was just in this dream world. You know, we'd never even co-slept and I didn't even bring a pack and play or anything for her to sleep in. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to believe that she would adapt and it would be hard, but she would adapt. And she was already a little bit of a tough baby for us, not just being first-time parents, but also looking back, I realized that that we did have some struggles with her that other friends weren't having. But, you know, we really had a rough time traveling and New Zealand was amazing, but we definitely bit off a little bit more than we could chew. We ended up doing over 2000 kilometers of driving over the course of a month. And that was before spending a week on the island of Niue and then spending a month in Polynesia. So that trip, you know, when you read it in the book, it's it was a steep learning curve. It had its sweet moments, but it ultimately helped us to determine how we were going to travel in the future.
0: So what are some takeaways for parents looking to travel internationally that you wish you had known in spite of those articles that you read that weren't helpful?
1: For one, I think every child is different. And so we were going against the grain of our own child with our planning. And it's best to actually create a trip that suits your child more than suits you hmm. and then you'll also be able to enjoy it mm-hmm. um, that's one thing that also comes down to you know for us it meant staying in places longer and so our next trip after that one we went to Belize and we stayed in the same place for three weeks and we actually enjoyed ourselves we we were on a tiny island that whole time and we got a little bit stir crazy but we enjoyed ourselves and we felt, somewhat relaxed. And we were able to take our turns and, and just create some memories together in a different place. Mm-hmm. And so spending enough time in the same place can be helpful to have a child adapt. And it takes a couple days, I'd say, without a time change, about three days, and with a time change, about an a day per hour of time change. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'd say just plan on spending enough. Just <laughs> take your book, go into a corner and just let her kind of shut out the world a little bit because traveling involves a lot of stimulation. Yeah. And
0: then, and you mentioned now you have two kids, which you talk about that in the book. And as I just had my second child and going from one to two children is a bit more challenging than I was expecting. So can you talk about well, first of all, whenever you found out you were pregnant with the second, and then how you're traveling
1: has changed, if at all, with two. The decision to, to have a second child was very much like the first time. And our kids are five years apart for a reason. Our first years as parents just destroyed us. And I felt constantly burnt out. And naturally, I was trying to do way too much with a kid in my life who, you know, has a lot of needs and naturally any child has needs right so i i just overlooked just how much of myself that would require to to raise that child and keep all the plates spinning and so because of our lifestyles and my husband's travel schedule it took us a long time to decide to have a second child but it was a very similar conversation i remember we had a very quick crossover between trips and I was like, we need to talk about this. We need to do the deed in this window. (laughs) If this is going to happen, like it was, it was down to this week because of our schedules. And it was very much the same thought process of, are we going to regret not having that sibling for our child or not having another child? And, and ultimately I knew that this was my chance. And so it was interesting how the two scenarios were very similar and neither of them was like an oops at all. It was mm-hmm. completely planned. My youngest Leia, was a lot easier going as a baby, just a lot more adaptable. And mm-hmm. so right away we were able to do more. And she went on her first backcountry camping trip when she was two months old, or we took her. So <laughs> like she went alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. She came to Rapa Nui with us when she was I don't know, nine months old. And she's been to Ireland and Malta and a few Hawaiian islands. And we recently did a three week road trip through the Balkans with the whole family. And so, you know, we've actually been able to do more, not just because we're more experienced, but because she just had that personality that allowed us to do those things. And Traveling, therefore, has just become more expensive. (laughs) And so, you know, now we're paying for her plane ticket and, you know, requires us to actually get a little bit more space when we're traveling. And so we have some financial things to figure out. But it's been such a joy, the things that we've been able to do. COVID, you know, obviously threw a wrench and things for a little while there. But even last year, we, you know, we traveled quite a lot and we're just so grateful to be able to do that with both kids.
0: Yeah, it sounds like for people who want to have adventures with their kids, it's from what you're saying, it's pay attention to the temperament of and the needs of your specific kid, because as you said, it can be very different. And what the kid can can manage is very different. But also number two, having the courage to do it, to just say, we're just going to sign up for this thing or that we're, or we're going to buy this plane ticket. Everything's not going to go to plan. It's going to be an adventure. We're going to figure it out as we go. And the more we do, the more we can do.
1: Yes, it's really true. And it's really just about reaching out and grabbing the experience that you want for yourself. And there's always so many reasons not to do it. And it's a lot of work, you know, it's traveling with kids. It's, It's like I said, it's not a vacation. It's work. It's an incredible experience juxtaposed with, you know, constant packing of snacks and layers and figuring out Um, and safety stuff too. You know, you have to, some of these countries, you have to really be careful in certain places. But for us, it's just always been, been worth it. Aside from that very first trip that we just came home, just completely exhausted from, it's always been worth it. And it really does mean just, you've to make that decision and follow through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's something that uh, my family, we've experienced a little bit. And it's interesting how you make the decision. You do something that feels hard in the moment, but then it creates sort of a, a new um, tolerance for things later on. Like I flew by myself with, I was like a five-month-old and a two-year-old, and I was so intimidated to do that by myself. Like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to manage all this? But then after I did that, you know, and out and back at the airport and all the things, it made it seem a lot easier to just load everybody up and go to the park. Whereas before, that seemed like. A really hard thing to do. So you build this tolerance by pushing yourself out of your comfort zone repeatedly
1: too. Yeah. It, it helps you realize what you're capable of. And it's like anything in life, you just, you have to just break it down into steps. And if you're, if I have to think about, you know, some of these massive travel days we've done, that require, you know, okay, a flight, Calgary, London, London, Albania, then we're going to drive to North Macedonia. Like it is way too much. And this is exactly what we did in April. Mm -hmm. It's just like a 24 hour day. And so it's like step one, get out the door and get to the airport. Step two, get through security and get to the gate. And it's literally my mind can only focus on the next thing. And I I really compare it even to my mountaineering days. You cannot think about the entirety of the journey, you're going, you know, one kilometer at a time or one challenge at a time. And it is the only way through it.
0: Yeah. You said in your book, how you react to the challenges will determine your experience. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And in the synopsis of your book, there was something about, uh, you said, you're exploring your identity amidst family expectations. So, what expectations were you having to rally against to define or redefine your identity?
1: So so, when I put that in the synopsis, there's a thread in the book about the community that I grew up in and the man that I ended up marrying. so it's it's largely relating to that thread. Mm-hmm. It required a lot of courage for me to be in a relationship with someone outside of the religious belief system that I grew up with. And I chose to make it more of a sub thread of the book because it's, it's not the full story, but mm-hmm. it's one of many examples in which in the book, I explore what it means to journey off the beaten track. Mm-hmm. And when you grew up in a more conservative Christian household, you have a lot of things that are dictated for your future And I also like to say that, you know, I was also responsible for swallowing those whole, you know, I Mm -hmm. grew up in this culture, but I didn't always, I didn't ever question that until I was in my teens. And so that's largely what that particular part is talking about is just, I don't think anybody was really concerned about me, you know, going on these adventures and climbing mountains and things like that. Uh, it definitely came down to more of the family expectations around what my what my relational life would look like.
0: And Courage is a theme, like it's come up a lot in the podcast, as a theme in the book. How do you define courage if someone asked you, "What does courage mean to you?"
1: Yeah, this is a tough one <laughs> for a wordsmith to like not know a definition. Courage, for me, I think is doing what I know is right despite the challenges that that might bring upon me. I think that's how I would answer it.
0: I have a follow-up question. How do you know what's
1: right? Cause I think a lot of
0: people don't know what's right for them because there's so much noise.
1: I think I am a person who lives with like a deep instinct and I'm a sensitive person who is very in tune with how I feel in any given scenario. And I consider that to be such a gift. And so I don't know how to answer this question for other people. I just know that when there's something that I want, it's it's like, I cannot ignore it. I, I just know. I know that it's something that I want or need. And so I have truly lived my life as an adult, just one, you know, kind of doing the next right thing, as they say the next right thing for myself. And for many years, I think it's because I remember what it was like to do that constantly thinking about others. And so not doing what was right for me because I was a people pleaser and I was always thinking about other people. And so I think I have this direct contrast that helps me know ultimately what's right for me because I'm no longer ignoring it. And
0: now that this book is out in the world, what do you hope people get from it? I know that that's a really big question. but
1: Well, the book's journey is ultimately one of a woman who goes from being that good girl to a woman who no longer abandons herself. And so I hope that what people will get out of the book is just the courage and the inspiration to create the life that's meaningful to them. And sometimes that just requires just really letting go of expectations that either you have for yourself or that others have for you and just reaching out and grabbing the things you want for yourself. And that's not easy to do, but ultimately for me, that's what's brought the most kind of harmony between like my inner and outer worlds.
0: Yeah. Expectations is something that I think about a lot because it can be inner or outer expectations. And then we might know that those are expectations. We might feel the friction of either, you know, being inauthentic to ourselves by trying to meet those or by just having too high of expectations. So, how do you set appropriate expectations for yourself now?
1: I think I've reframed those to be more about setting boundaries that I actually try not to set any expectations anymore. I mm-hmm. keep my expectations very low. And I have a friend who once said to me, you know, hopes high, expectations low. And that's become a little bit of a mantra for me. It helps me live really optimistically and yet realistically. And so I think now it's more about setting boundaries for myself. And lately that looks like me scrolling through my phone at messages and then just deciding, you know what? I'm not even the person who needs to handle that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Someone else can handle that or that's someone else's job. Mm-hmm setting boundaries with my children. You know, I'm at an age with my eldest right now where I've, especially on these weeks of solo parenting, I've, I've had to set very clear boundaries around where I'm going to put my energy and where I cannot, where I'm tapped out. I got nothing left. And so I think it's less about expectations and more about actually knowing where the limits are.
0: Yeah. I really like what you said, the keep, keep the hope high and the expectations low. Um, There's somebody else who has been a guest on the show and he says he wants to keep his gratefulness higher than his expectations whenever he's going after something. So it's kind of a, it's a similar vein. Gratefulness and optimism or hope are not the same things, but I think that's a really powerful lesson that you just, you just gave. And that's something I'm learning too. Man, it's like you have all these things that you want to get done. And I've done my fair share of some soul parenting with these, these little ones and you think you're going to be able to get a certain number of things done or anything done in the day, or that you're going to feel a certain way, or that you're going to plan to go somewhere. And that requires flexibility to change change plans. And I think that that could be something really challenging for people when they have kids is to have that flexibility, especially whenever before you had complete autonomy over your life.
1: Yeah. And it's also letting go of the identity that's associated with getting things done. Mm. You know, I've kind of accepted that one people actually don't notice or care <laughs> that <laughs> I'm not accomplishing as much as I used to, or, you know, that I can't keep my act together anymore all the time. I, uh, you know, I actually have a post-it note that sits on my pegboard in front of me that says no hard things after 5 PM for a reason. It's like my capacity is is so limited. And, you know, especially when you're solo parenting, you, you know if you're you're lucky if you can get maybe one thing done on your list. So it's also just expecting less of our without using the word expecting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it is expecting less of ourselves and giving ourselves the grace to say like this is this is already above and beyond what any human should be asked to do. And so just have some kindness towards yourself in those moments,
0: yeah, yeah. um I once this is before I had kids, but I wrote down something to expand upon for myself, which I haven't done yet, but it was, Overcoming the Tyranny of Expectations.
1: Mm, that's a really good one. I think that's just a big piece of the motherhood puzzle or the parenthood puzzle is just, we live in a culture that in in our modern times, so much more is expected than ever before. And, you know, blame Pinterest or whoever you want. I think that, especially as mothers, we're just, asked to play so many roles all the way to a hundred percent and then make the cake look perfect and do these things with our kids and it, the pressure is enormous and this is actually a relatively new concept, and I've done some reading about it because sometimes when you're in it you don't even know it, but mm-hmm. you know we are just in parenting hyperdrive in this day and age and I like to be a little bit countercultural about that where I can. For instance, I don't sign my kids up for activities. We do very little outside of just school and just being home. Part of that is me taking into account my own energy, but it's also just seeing the impact that that has on my kids constantly being and doing. And it's not that we wouldn't sign them up for something they were really interested in. And we do, you know, climbing gym classes and my daughter does piano lessons, but it's just taking that, making, being intentional about doing less. Yeah. I can, again, I can relate with you on this one
0: as well. And sometimes I feel kind of bad because it seems like my friends have their kids doing all of these different activities and I just don't see how they can do it and still like stay sane <laughs> or even to like allow that time for their kids to just have nothing to do and just, hey, like go pretend that whatever is a leaf blower or like imaginative play.
1: Yeah, the the comparison can be a killer. And I've learned this one the hard way, for sure. Nothing ever is as it seems either. And so... Uh, I think you just have to really focus on doing what's right for you. It sounds like, you know, you've had all these adventures all over the world.
0: You've had lots of time to come into who you want to be. You've had to make big decisions in your life. And you've been lots of places with uncertainty on tap. And that's, that's helped you inform what your instincts are now and how to navigate motherhood.
1: Yeah, I think all of these experiences have added up to... A series of tools, I guess, that I now can draw from, and so throughout the book I use a series of navigational metaphors to tap into some very ancient knowledge around wayfinding and navigation as a way of providing, like, a visual or and and a metaphor about what it means to navigate off the beaten track and how to find our way. And there's just there isn't one way of doing these things. It's drawing from these different wells and piecing together a toolkit that works for us and it's a constant learning curve i swear every time i think i figured something out i think what i learned the most is that i don't have it figured out and i think it's also very healthy to get comfortable with uncertainty because the reality of our world is it's very uncertain and we have constant curveballs coming our way and to live in the opposite to try to stay close to comfort and try to stay close to routine for me i think just can set people up for some serious disappointments even trauma because you know life is calling us to be resilient and flexible and i think all of these journeys off the beaten track have ultimately showed me that this is really where real life is played out is in that uncertainty I think the pandemic has shown us that as well with more people feeling like their whole lives just, you know, went off the rails. Uh we have a lot of healing to do in our culture and in our world and part of that is is learning to to deal with uncertainty.
0: Well, thanks so much for sharing very openly about a lot of things that are on our minds a lot of the time. Where can people find your book and more about you?
1: A great hub for all the things is my website at MeganJoyWard.com. That's Megan with an H and on Instagram at MeganJWard. That's largely where I post all my news and updates. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please don't forget to share the show with your friends if you're getting value in it, because that is the best way to help it grow and help it to find others. You can share it on social media. You can text them a link. And we so appreciate the fact that there are thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and that you're choosing to listen to this one. I'm committed to always having high quality guests on this show that will help us take high performance and well being to the next level. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. We'll see you right back here next week.